and welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. My name is Aaron Kimple. Great to have you with us. Today, I'm going to share with you a discussion I had with Ruben Prevost about Sacred Marriage. Great book by Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Phenomenal book on marriage. So I'm going to share with you this discussion I had with Ruben. Hope you enjoy it. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Monday Night Bible Study. Uh, you've got me and Aaron again. And uh, I, think, I think we've got a good topic uh, for you guys this evening. We're going to be talking a little bit about marriage. And Aaron is going to be the main one talking because he's got way more experience than me and, <laughs> and our, you know, just few years of marriage. Uh, and so I'm really excited. It's going to be a really good study. Aaron, why don't you actually just give us a, a brief overview of what you're going to be talking about? Hey, Ruben, good to be with you. And, and first of all, I'm, don't diminish what you have to offer. <laughs> so you're going to be talking tonight too, bro, and I appreciate your, your perspective. Um, you know, what we're going to do tonight uh, is go over some things that we talked about in our, we have our, our congregation here at Dallin Road is divided up into four groups, and that's how our shepherds have divided us. And group two is uh, we spend a lot of time on marriage and sacred marriage. Uh, there's a book written by Gary Thomas called Sacred Marriage, and we uh, we watched a video series based on that that was done by Gary Thomas. And uh, here's the the video. Um, there's a thing called DVDs. I don't know if anyone still remembers those, but this is a DVD study. But you can also uh, find them and you can stream, stream them online if you search for it. Uh, but we went through this six lesson video series and they were about like 20 minutes a piece, Ruben. And uh, man, they were they were just phenomenal lessons, weren't they? Yeah, they were outstanding. Just uh, gives you this new perspective on marriage. Uh, you know, it's so yeah. funny. You know, you, you get a bunch of new perspectives nowadays, but this perspective, this new perspective on marriage was some something that's really good that I think would help a lot of uh, married people uh, think differently about their marriage and think more about, you know, you know, themselves and, you know, how they can grow in marriage. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, um, well, one of his fundamental things that he talks about, as you know, Ruben, is happiness versus holiness. And he's like, what if marriage was designed for our holiness rather than our temporary happiness? And, you know, one of the things that it seems like is like, wow, this new approach, as you said, and I'm not saying this to correct you, but it's like this new approach. And we realize, wow, what he did is he just went back to the beginning to <laughs> right. God's original design. And um, one of the things that he talked about, and we'll get to Genesis here in a moment, but Ruben, one of the things that struck me is, is what's happened. He pointed out with this romantic notion that's evolved over the past few hundred years that has distorted uh, our view of, and maybe our expectations of what we're supposed to be getting out of marriage or what the purpose of marriage is. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to hear what you had to, th uh, what was some of the impact that had on you? Well, yeah, I mean, so much of the way we view marriage now is through sort of the lens of, you know, romanticism, sort of that, that modern mm -hmm. concept. I'm looking for yeah. me and my personal, my personal happiness. And so, for instance, we kind of see it in movies in the way that we react when watching movies. And so if there's a married couple where uh, in a movie or a TV, television show where one spouse is just this this great person and the other spouse isn't that great and treats the other and, 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 and treats mm -hmm. you know the other spouse not too well we're kind of rooting for one spouse to just leave like yeah you need to find mm. you need to find that guy prince charming whatever it may be and if prince charming comes onto the scene uh then we're like we're rooting for him we're like yes absolutely yep. she deserves him uh, and mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's that romantic notion where marriage is about me and my happiness. And if I'm not happy, then I just leave. And, you know, that's sort of what we see in a lot today. And that's not surprising. That's how we interact with a lot of things. I'm not happy with a restaurant. I leave yeah. and I go find another restaurant. I don't go back to that one. Right. So we do the that's same right. things with our marriage. Yeah. With churches and everything. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. You know, so, okay, there's that. And, 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 you know, you've described a lot of Hallmark movies, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and so there's this romantic, uh, a distorted, I'd say romantic view of, of marriage and it, and it 
and it becomes um, needs-based approach. And even that, sometimes that affects, and I think that's why it was foundational. I just watched the, just the response in the couples, Ruben, when they were listening and watching these videos, just, it was like a complete paradigm shift. Wow, I've never thought about this way. Well, and me too. I mean, I was the same way because I think sometimes in our marriage training and reading, we're talking about, you know, his needs, her needs, which is okay, but that's, that's needs based. And that's really not getting down to the fundamental root and reason and the why of marriage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So I guess as we think about, um, you know, what if God designed again, our marriage to be for something more than just our temporary happiness? I mean, can, again, you think about this, if you've been married for long enough, you realize what a horrible foundation for a marriage that is, if it's all about just my temporary happiness. Uh, there's there's got to be something else, and and uh, so yeah. we're going to talk about that just a little bit tonight. Yeah, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, if you if if you really think about it, if God designed marriage for our happiness, our temporary happiness, then divorce would just be okay. Mm-hmm. And right, if that's what's God's mm-hmm. design for marriage, then of course divorce would be okay. If you're not happy, get out. Yeah, yeah but God has a plan for more. Yeah, I've heard over the years. Uh, I remember our neighbors in Ohio. They <clears throat> they said, "Well, God's just leading us in different directions." Well, no, he, he, that wasn't God. Whatever it was, wasn't right. wasn't God. Or or God wants me to be happy. And we hear that sometimes with even you know with our personal lives, with marriage lives, even with our kids. Well, I want to make them happy. Well, holiness for our kids is more important than their than their temporary happiness, and it's the same yeah. thing for our marriage. So as we, as we, and I know you love to go there too, we, you know, we go to the garden of Eden, Reuben, you know, right. from the very beginning, right? God made man in, in his image, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and the image of God, he made the male and female. And so, okay. So one of the things we see from marriage is procreation, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? There's, there's one thing that we're, we know marriage is there for is to, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But I don't think we think that's the original design. Like God, like that's the real why of marriage is just to have children. Otherwise, I mean, he, he could have designed us the same way he designed animals. I mean, you know, we have, if it was just procreation, it'd be more efficient. To, I mean, just like with chickens, I'd be, I'm being really silly here, but we have 30 hens and, you know, a couple of roosters. We don't need that many roosters. So if it was just about right. procreation, Right. You have one bull and a lot of a lot of heifers, but you just have one bull. So if this is just about procreation, I mean, God had to have something else in mind. Sorry. He could have designed it in a completely different way if it was just about, you know, having kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, obviously we know from the Bible, I mean, God created male and female in the image of God. He created a male and female. So we know male and female. We know how the human body is created. And we know even from the Bible, from the book of Song of Solomon, from Passages like Proverbs 5, let her breasts satisfy you at all times, be intoxicated with her love. We know God created the marriage relationship for sexual fulfillment. There's there's certainly that, but that's not the real why. Um, I, and we also see that there's a companionship in, in marriage, but um, it's not just about simple companionship. It's it's far more than that. So as we get to, yeah. you know, as we get to the uh, the Garden of Eden, there's there's got to be something more, and we see that. Uh, any thoughts? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what we see. As a matter of fact, we we see that when God gives the man sort of his marching orders, and I'm sure you're going to get into this. So I won't. I won't yeah, go too deep into it. But yeah, when God gives the man his marching orders. And then he looks at the work, well, at least in the way I read it, he looks at the work and he says, well, it's not good for man to be alone, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that gets to part of the goal of marriage. But I'll let you expand on that. I just sort of well, set the yeah, foundation. I, yeah, I just, I like the the back and forth discussion, as you know, and I think it's, it's very good. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man to put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And um, as I've said recently, I mean, it was kind of one of those fundamental things for me when I realized that word keep in Genesis uh, 2.15 means guard. And it's the same word later in chapter three, when God 
kicks man and, and woman out of the garden, he drives them out. He drives the man out, really, it says. But when man and woman leave the garden, he puts a cherubim there to guard the way to the tree of life. And it's the same word, right? So he put the man in a garden with a specific responsibility to be a gatekeeper, to be a guardian. And so there was a, there's, there's something more here than just keeping, you know, the bad stuff out like wolves, which I don't know what we have at that point, right? <laughs> there's something else here, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, th there's something he had to guard. He said, and you can eat of all of the trees of the garden, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, there were things that were pleasurable, verse 16, right? There are, mm -hmm. there are, um, uh, if I jump back up to verse, is it verse nine? He made uh, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Yeah. So there was pleasure in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, there were things that were that brought temporary happiness. I mean, there were trees that were beautiful to look at, and the fruit was great to look at, and it was good to eat. But there's something more than temporary happiness. You can choose to follow me, or you can choose to have the knowledge of good and evil. It's up to you. And right after that, what does he say, Reuben, verse 18? He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a yeah. helper corresponding to him. Yeah, it has to be connected. I mean, yeah, uh, in, in the story, right? It, it's not just like um, the man is a doofus. He won't get anywhere, you know, if he doesn't have a woman. I mean, there are a lot of things man can accomplish, uh, you know, on his own. But there's something else here. He's like, it's not good for him to be alone. I yeah. will make him a helper fit for him. Yeah. Now. Again, that comes to why, why was the woman created, you know, a helper fit. Does that mean the garden needed to be swept? And so that's what she's <laughs> going to do. <laughs> right. No. I mean, I, you know, I love to be silly, but, yeah, but sometimes yeah. I think silliness helps to illustrate why did he put woman in a garden to be a helper comparable? There was something else. Any thoughts, Ruben? Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. God has given man his, his marching orders. God placed the man mm -hmm. in the garden to work it and to guard over it. And so God had given man responsibilities. God had a will for man at this uh, point. And right after God gives the man his will and then places him in the garden, he says, you know what? He doesn't need to be doing this alone. It's mm -hmm. not good for man to be alone. Uh, and so he needs a helper. He needs someone who will help the, him in this task of doing my will. And so I think right there, we just get one of the main purposes of marriage. Mm -hmm. We're going to help one another accomplish God's will and accomplish God's purposes. I think that's what God is saying. Uh, Adam needs someone to help him do this. Right. Um, so. Yeah. And as we think about, again, if we just think about marriage being about holiness, so I think we can see it right here from the beginning that God designed a marriage to help each other follow God and be holy and and to choose the relationship of god over the temporary happiness and we see that breakdown very quickly as you know yeah. you know we have we have the woman created which is a beautiful you know thing here the surgery he does with adam and takes from him to make this woman and 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 moses's commentary god's commentary really is therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed so there's this beautiful intimacy there's this beautiful sweet fellowship they have with each other and also with god then we have as you know, chapter three, yeah. the devil enters and, and what's the, how does the devil mess this whole thing up? Well, just everything breaks down. So first of all, he mm -hmm. attacks, he goes after the woman. He approaches, he approaches Eve, you know, Adam is the one who's supposed to, to keep and guard or uh, guard the garden. Uh, and so I think Adam is supposed to guard his wife as well mm -hmm. from this, you know, enemy who's made its way into the garden. So the enemy has made its way to the garden uh, and everything gets turned on its head. You know, you, from Genesis 2, it's evident that man was sort of had an authority role over the woman. Uh, mm -hmm. You see that in Genesis 2. And both of them had an authority role over everything else in the garden, over all of the animals. Mm -hmm. And then all that gets flipped on its head. And so now it's the, the animal who's dragging down the woman who's dragging down the man. And ultimately, everything is upside down. 
And so at the end of chapter two, at the end of chapter two, the man and his wife were naked, felt no shame. And then everything gets turned on its head. They don't listen. They don't help one another with that holiness. Instead, they they help drag one another down and they feel shame after they realize their nakedness. So that's right. Yeah. So just to go along with that, um, we know something happened with a change in their relationship because of the Garden of Eden. But we do know from the beginning, God created the man to be the head. Paul makes that point. Yep. In more than one passage in the New Testament, there's headship in heaven between the Father and the Son, 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 11. And and a husband and wife kind of mirror, mirror that headship. Yep. You know, it, we're, we're, uh, there's a headship even in heaven uh, with the Father and the Son. And then we get to 1 Timothy 2, and he says, for Adam was created first than Eve. And so there's even a, a headship and authority there just by being first. Yeah. And and we see that man is the one who named the animals. That demonstrated authority and headship in the same way he named the wife. And so we see that he is in headship and authority. But that came with an incredible responsibility. Right. And the serpent a- approached the woman. Hmm. And, I, and I know in our crazy, you know, it, um, I think just overly feminized feminist culture saying these things is you may rattle you know rattle some cages yeah. but we can see that the serpent approached the woman what we see in this text is that uh he went after her and deceived her the man knew exactly what he's doing and he went into it headstrong right not listening to god yeah but both worse, of them absolutely <laughs> like yeah, it is right because paul talks about how she was deceived and not the man yeah no, he just he just did it yeah yeah and that, so that is much worse so what we have is uh, the devil coming and deceiving the woman. And verse 6 of Genesis 3, again, remember what they were placed there for, to help each other obey God. The woman saw the tree was good for food. It was delight to the eyes, a tree that was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now notice, what was she created to be? Helper. A helper fit, right? Yep. A helper fit. What did she do? She helped her husband sin. Right. What was he created to do? Guard. He was created a guard. And it says he was there with her. And he broke down on his role. So from the very beginning, marriage was created for holiness. Marriage was created for two people to help each other obey God. And the very first marriage broke down when both of them, both of them are responsible here. Uh, but they didn't do their just initial purpose and reason for being created, and that is to help the other person obey God. Right. And man, if we can get that in our marriages, yeah, how much what a better, change! Yeah, yeah. How much better would things be if we focused less on happiness and more on helping one another to be holy? Because I mean, that's what they were doing yeah. here in the garden, right? They're like, "Oh, this tree looks good." And they say, it's desirable. Well, what's that about? Well, that's about me and my happiness. Yep. It ruined everything. Yeah. So, And and still does today. You know, yep. when we say, well, man, if I was Adam or if I was Eve, I wouldn't know uh, you'd eat the fruit. <laughs> okay. Look, you're still eat it. You eat it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yep. And, and we see it throughout the Bible. We, we see sometimes men abdicate their roles. We see sometimes... Uh, women doing the same thing. I mean, there's times it's a good, very good thing. I think the end of Proverbs 31, you know, you have a husband and wife who are showing, I think, God's original design and how they treat each other and the ultimate fulfillment of that and how they're helping each other be holy and obey God. And that that spreads to the children. But, um, you know, we see it today. You know, I think in all ways we, you know, sometimes the men abdicate the role and sometimes the women say, okay, you know, I want something other than what God has to offer. And we look and see what that does to our family and to our culture. Uh, so, you know, that all being said, you know, I think about the very first question. I remember, uh, my, one of my mentors, Roger Schaus pointing this out years ago and just God's original question that he asks in Genesis three, verse nine, where are you? I love that question, Ruben, you know, and he's called not because he needs to know he's calling cause he's trying to call out the man. He's trying to call out repentance from the man. Where are you? You've abandoned your post. <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, I mean, obviously there's a broken fellowship between God and, and Adam there as well, but there's, mm-hmm. there's also an acknowledgement because verse 17, you have listened to the voice of your wife and done what I told you not to do. That's right. Here's the consequence. That's right. You know, and again, it shows, it shows that God has even recognized the intent or at least the authority, I guess, of the man over the woman at the very beginning, because you listen to the voice of your wife. And every time that comes Mm -hmm. up in Genesis, it's not a good thing. That's always Mm -hmm. a negative thing. So God expected him to guard his wife and God expected her to help him. And it's just turned upside down. But yeah, I do. I'm with you. I love these questions because it's not like God doesn't know the answer. He's He's trying to call out a response. Where are you? Did you eat from the tree? God already knows. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to call them to do something. Yeah, I heard someone say that you know God God asks questions for revelation, not information. You know, yeah, he's he's is. revealing something in us, or you know, so that we can see it, not so that he can know it. Yeah. Um, and so you know, yeah, right. And and like you said, thinking about other examples, and even the book of Genesis where Abraham listened to Sarah in regards to to Hagar. Um, you know, or or. Uh, you know, trying to think about other examples, but yeah, absolutely. We got to, we got to, we got to listen to God first and that's both parties. All right. So as we think about some of the other things that, that Gary Thomas uh, talked about in this book, Sacred Marriage, and again, you can find that anywhere, but you can look up Sacred Marriage on Amazon and there's, you know, you can find an audible version, you can find uh, you know Kindle version, you can find uh, video studies, you can find uh, just the book itself, but it's a very, very good, it's really the best book I've read on marriage. I've had people tell me that. And, you know, whenever somebody is the best sermon I ever heard, right? You know, sometimes you're like, <laughs> okay, all right, I'll go listen to it. Well, this, I've heard people, several people say, this is the best book on marriage. I'm like, it's truly the best book on marriage I've read because I really think it really captures the essence of why God created marriage. Yeah. And I actually want to look at one more passage. Yeah. But this is in Ephesians, but in Ephesians 5, Paul is really re- referring back to Genesis where we've been yes. all along, but let's go he, there. Amen. Yeah. And he, he talks about how, how the, the whole, th- the whole marriage thing just points to Christ and the church. And so the husbands, um, the husbands are like in the place of Christ. No, they're not really in the place of Christ, but if you compare marriage with Christ and the church, the husbands would be Christ. The, the wives would be the church. Um, but this is, this is what Christ is doing for the church. And uh, the question for us as husbands is, are we doing this for our wives? But I, th- I think it shows the point of marriage. And so it says, pick it up at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And so in the same way, verse 28, same way. husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. So Paul says, this is what Christ is doing for the church. Christ wants to make her holy. Christ wants to cleanse her through the word. Christ wants to present her to himself without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. And Paul says, well, husbands, you need to be doing the same thing. You need to be making sure that your wife is holy, making sure that you use the word to to keep her holy, making sure that you present her to Christ, holy or blameless, without any spot or wrinkle. And so that's what husbands are supposed to do. That's the goal, to present our wives holy uh, to the to the true bridegroom, I guess you can say. Uh, and so that's that's the goal. It's not it's not really about happiness. As a matter of fact, if you look really closely. Even if you look in between the lines in Ephesians 5, you don't see anything about happiness in there. Not that happiness yeah. is not a thing that we shouldn't strive yeah. for. I think we should strive for that. Right. But the goal is holiness. Yeah. Yeah, happiness can be a, uh, a byproduct of us living with God, right. you know, and there's a there's a joy of the Spirit that, that comes by walking with Him. But that doesn't mean everything's all, all happy and, and hunky-dory, as we used to say growing up. Um. I don't know if that's an Indiana term or not. I'm not sure, but um, but it's as you said, okay, so term. 
Like only people <laughs> over only people over fifty five use that, just from what I hear. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. That's <laughs> that cracks me up. Oh man, yeah, it's like Lindsay. Dad, you're so old. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This Lindsay's my daughter, by the way. Um, all right. So now if um if we look at that, right, he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. Ephesians 5:32, this mystery is profound. I'm speaking. What I'm talking about refers to Christ and the church. So his focus is the church. He uses that to talk about marriage, but the focus is the, is Christ and the church. So we think about this, Ruben, you know, and, and if you're listening to this, uh, you know, think about how marriage is an image of Christ and the church. You know, one of the things I said talking to somebody the other day, Ruben, is is we think about kingdom work, and I know I preached a sermon on this recently, but with we're going to look at some of this tonight even more. But um, if I realize that that I can hand out business cards and invite people to services, but I when I read Ephesians five and other examples, I believe my marriage should be a business card. Yeah, I believe I believe that the way I live my life in my marriage should should glorify Jesus. Okay. And if I glorify Jesus, that should show the relationship between Christ and the church. And, and man, if we have that in our marriage, man, when we, when we, when we understand that it changes, it just really changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. The way people, the way people look at us in our marriages is it, it's almost like it ties in with the way they would view Christ in the church. Like if our marriages are horrible and then we invite someone to, yeah, hey, come and worship with us. <laughs> yeah. Why would I worship yeah. with you guys, right? It, it's it's an impression. It's the first impression that some people get of Christ, uh, of the relationship between Christ and the church. Certainly that's true with our kids. The relationship between Amen. mom and dad is certainly the, the first image that our kids see of, of Christ in the church. That's right. Yeah. So as we, we see here, the purpose of the husband is to is for his wife's holiness. And of course, a woman is imitating Jesus as well. Well, what's her job is, is uh, my husband's holiness. But then on the other aspect is, okay, how is marriage helping my holiness? And, right. you know, one of the things that Gary Thomas pointed out in one of the videos is, I mean, he's seems to be a pretty good guy, you know, and, and uh, as you're teaching about these things naturally, Sometimes someone will say, man, I wish I had a husband like that, or I wish I had a wife like that. You know, I wish I, you know, and someone would tell Gary Thomas, man, I wish I, you know, if, if you're, if I had a husband like you, well, I wouldn't have any problems basically. And he's like, you have no idea what it's like to live with me. <laughs> I love that comment. Yeah. I love that comment because it's, it's so true, right? I mean, as we think about, we, we may think, and I loved how he talked about that. We might think that we are pretty good people. And then we get married, and then we realize, whoa, I've got some attitude issues. Yeah, I, I've got some selfishness. Yeah, I, I've got some heart problems. I've got some pride. I got an ego. Yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. another child that my 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 wife had was my ego. You know, and so <laughs> I'm telling you. And so as we think about that, as so marriage, marriage, if we're really thinking about holiness. As we think about marriage is about a mirror. Yeah. Cause it's gonna help instead of me, here's what you know, how many times I've been in, in conversations uh with people about marriage and it's my husband this or my wife that. And and if they would change, if he would change, if she would change, if they would just change A, B, and C, man, our marriage would be, and maybe God's saying, maybe you are the one who needs to change. Right. And yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm sorry, but maybe they're yeah. what they're going through is going to shape you. Yeah, marriage is is like a mirror. I think you said that at some point. Yeah, right. Marriage is like a mirror. You know, it's so interesting to me just yeah. reading like the same way we would read scripture, where we read scripture and we're not like, man, those people. Oh yes, those people. They messed it all up. Uh, we shouldn't read scripture like that. Scripture should be a a mirror for us. You know, it's so interesting. There's a, I forget exactly where it is in Luke. I was trying to look for it while you were talking, but uh, you didn't give me enough time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but it's like where Jesus says, um, watch how you hear. And I just oh, thought about that phrase. You hear. Yeah, where is that? I, I thought about that I phrase see. for a while. Watch how you hear. 
Watch your yeah. ears. How do you watch your ears? <laughs> In a mirror. Yeah, right. That's 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 a good <laughs> that's point. Only, that's the only way. And I realize it's not necessarily Jesus' point, but that was sort of the train that my mind went down whenever mm-hmm. I read that. Watch how you hear. Yeah, we have to watch ourselves. That, that's what Jesus' point is. You have to watch ourselves. So we need a mirror for that. Well, Scripture can yeah. be that mirror, and our marriages can be that mirror. And so in, instead of trying to always change the other person, well, man, if yeah. they... Yes. Maybe God through our marriage is trying to teach us something about ourselves. Yeah. And one of the, yeah, when you, when you find that, that reference, let me know, but yeah, take heed how you hear as how I, you know, or, or be careful how you hear. I love that because, um, what, what, again, what if, what if God is, um, what, what if that person never changes those certain things that irritate you or drive you nuts? Okay, what what am I going to learn from that? How's that going to shape me? You know, um, one of the points that he, uh, one of the verses that that Gary Thomas brings up in his material is James three two. We stumble in many ways, and I loved that phrase. Like because, you know, sometimes we read verses, Reuben, and we don't apply it to marriage. When I think these yeah. are great verses to apply to marriage. Okay, we stumble in many ways. Okay, so Anna stumbles in many ways. Well, so does Aaron. Aaron stumbles in many ways. So what we're learning is what? Forgiveness, compassion, mercy. What we're learning is having the heart of God. What, what I'm being shaped into, what I'm being benefited here is, to, is, is growing and having a heart of God for somebody else. Uh, I mean, how good is that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, so. That's right. I found it. It, it took a while, but um, it's uh, Luke 8.18 where it says, take yeah. care how you listen, but the word take care is literally the word for see. So watch, mm, watch, watch how you hear. Watch, watch you my hear. ears. Watch yeah. My ears. What is that? How do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so the, there's a refining power in marriage. You know, one of the verses that he talks about is in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7 and verse 1. And he's not, again, it's not talking exclusively about marriage, but... But he says, you know, in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 1, Paul says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That can happen through a marriage. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, one of the, I, there's, one, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the jokes that I really liked from going through that series uh, was Gary was talking about how he would ask people, um, are you listening with your ears or your elbows? I don't know if you remember that, but like, yeah, dude, just what we were talking about. Like, are you like nudging the person next to you? Hey, you need to, you need yeah. to listen to this. Yeah. But yeah, are we working on ourselves? How are we applying it to ourselves? Are we using it to, to, to grow ourselves and make ourselves holy, holy to completion? Like a uh, second Corinthians seven one says. Yeah. And, and so if I, if I embrace this, here's the thing and, and what sometimes our pride may be able to get, may get in the way, but if I embrace that, there is really nobody who sees me clearer than Anna. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my kids, yeah. because again, I say this, but kids are the best baloney detectors on the face of the earth. Yeah. What if, what if, instead of me thinking about changing them, realizing that there are things that they see, and if they point that out, to not be sensitive about it or not to fight mm-hmm. against it, but to realize that maybe God placed them in my life to help me grow. Yeah. And uh, maybe there are areas that, that, that I am being shaped and perfecting holiness because of the relationship, you know, um, right. preparing me for serving God. Yeah. And so that's what I meant sort of at the very beginning when I say it's just a different perspective. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes we're always looking out. But Mm -hmm. Gary really encourages us to look at ourselves. And so, you know, we've heard we've heard the stories of how people get into relationships and they turn the relationship into a project. Right. Here's my project. Mm. I'm going to make him better. Yes. I'm going to make her better. Uh, I can change him or I can change her. Oh, yeah. And Gary's approach is, uh, no, let's let's flip that around. And this mm-hmm. marriage is used to change me now rather than changing her. Uh, I'm helping myself to grow. Maybe God put the, like you, like, exactly like you said, God put this person into my life to, to show me my own flaws 
mm -hmm. and to, to build me up to, into a better person, more Christ-like person. Yeah. Um, very good. You know, one of the things I think about, I, I talk to couples about this a lot, and you've heard me say it, but just Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2, and uh, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, where in Jesus the whole fullness of deity and, uh, dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Some versions say you've been made complete in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So <clears throat> Jesus makes me complete. Yeah. Well, if that's true for me, it's true for my wife. And and if I just I, I tell you sometimes we are seeking, uh, I tell you this is a struggle, and and we're talking about this in our boundaries class, uh, but sometimes we're seeking from others what we can only get from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if I think about that just from a marriage, if I'm seeking from my spouse what only God can give, what does that do, Reuben? Well, now I've just got unhealthy expectations, and I'm going to just be miserable. Mm -hmm. That's it. So. That's it. And and I'm going to blame them, right? Yeah, right. I mean, she's right. not giving me what I need. Well, really what I'm saying I need, and if I boil it down, well, what am I looking for? It, maybe let's say somebody's looking for acceptance and approval. Well, maybe I need to deal with that with God because God's mm -hmm. the one that makes me complete. Mm -hmm. And this is why you can be complete whether you're married or not, right? Christ makes yeah. you complete. But if I'm married and if I go in with a need, and this again, Gary Thomas, you know, if you go in with a needs-based approach, a self-centered approach, a spouse-centered approach, even I'm going to fill their needs instead of let's focus on holiness here. Um, if, if I realize that I am complete in Jesus, then that takes the weight off. And I think the frustration off because now I don't have these unfulfilled needs and unexpect, un, these expectations that I've placed on my spouse that they can't do. Right. They can't fulfill because there are some things only God can do. And man, once we do that, I know for my, my sake, that just changes the marriage. Yeah. It really does. You know, and I think part of the problem is we have it's so easy. Like it, it's very often that we do get what we want because we live, you know, we, oh, we yeah. don't have all the problems that the people in the ancient world have or had. Right. You know, I, I was looking at one study that sort of came to the conclusion that 50% of children were lost at childbirth hmm. during the time the Bible was written. 50%. Wow. Man, what if we had to go through that? I'm just and thinking so, of three out of our six kids. I mean, I just, wow. Yeah. Wow. And so you learn very quickly in the ancient world, just living it in that, in that sort of environment. And it was so much more difficult for them uh, that everything is not about me and my happiness. Things are so much easier for us that everything can be about me and my happiness. I basically mm -hmm. almost always get what I want in, the, in, yeah. in modern society. And we don't so have to wait, be, right? No, we don't have to wait for anything, right? No. Um, and so now we've applied that same thing to our marriages where marriage is, it's all about me. And if I'm ever unhappy, um, then I can just, you know, forego the vows that I made because, you know, we didn't really mean those whenever we made them anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of, you know, the world we live in, but we've got to get back to this idea where it's, it's not just about me and my happiness. Uh, it's yeah. about, first of all, you know, bringing glory to God, um, but helping one another be holy. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Happiness, it's not holiness. Yeah. So first Corinthians 10, as you said, that is another, um, I just had a list of some verses down here that I wanted to touch on. And you mentioned that, or you mentioned glory to God. So first, first Corinthians 10 is another verse that he talked about verse 31. And again, sometimes we read passages, uh, and we, we, we could really apply it to marriage if we think about it. First Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's right. Man, what if what if in our marriage we're like, okay, honey, we're 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 gonna do all for the glory of God? You know, and and what if my spouse isn't on board with that? Okay, well, I still gotta give all to the glory of God. Sometimes That's that right. happens. Your spouse isn't on board. It, sadly, we see that happen. Yeah. But you can do all for the glory of God in your marriage. Yeah. You know, I really liked, you, you mentioned the needs-based approach. Um, and I really like what he said in that lesson, like, 
because sometimes if we have this needs-based approach, we can get into this mentality where if they're not fulfilling my needs, then I won't fulfill, fulfill their needs. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, as a husband, I have a job to do whether or not my wife does her job. And as a wife, she has a job to do, even if I'm not doing everything that I need to do. So if I have this needs-based approach, it almost becomes like this circular, like this spiral where we're just going mm -hmm. downwards and downwards, like this downward spiral where, well, she's not fulfilling my needs, so I'm not going to fulfill her needs. And then she's like, well, he's not fulfilling my needs. So and it's just like you never get out of that. No, so it's, a, a it's a death thing. spiral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's truly a death spiral. So you, okay. Um, There's other passages you made me think of that he mentioned in the book is, you know, uh, if you love those who love you. Now, again, we know that passage because we use that with our brethren. We use that with our friends <laughs> or whatever. But if you love those who love you, what reward have you, right? right. I mean, God is kind to the unthankful and the, and the unjust. That's right. So, okay, well, what about me? You know, in my marriage. He said something about, okay, if it's based on that, then it's like, okay, in the past 40, 48 to 72 hours, okay, if Anna's been nice to me, well, you know, I guess I could take out the trash without yeah. her asking me. I guess I'll be nice to her. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess I'll pick up my socks. You know, yeah. I, I guess I won't complain about that or, or you know, make a passive aggressive ding at her because, well, she's been pretty good to me for the past couple of days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, how often have we applied that verse to our marriages? Like that was one of yeah. the things I was thinking as we went through that lesson is like he he applied that verse to our to the marriages. And I was like, man, how often have we applied that verse to our marriage? Usually we 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 apply that to just our enemies, right? Mm -hmm. And ironically, sometimes we treat our enemies better than we treat our spouse. But yeah. yeah. We apply that to our spouse. That's uh, a good boy. You said a mouthful there. So God sends rain so on the just and the unjust. And so I'm going right. to do what I need to do, even if they're not, and vice versa. That's the way it should yeah. be. Yeah. How much time do we have? Uh, I think we've been going 40 minutes. Okay. Well, um, one of the other things that I was um, thinking about along those lines is, is um, he talks about uh, the time factor in all of these recent, the, the recent studies. I shouldn't say all of them. I don't know how many have been done, but recent studies about brain um, neuro neuroplasticity and how that a couple after they have been together for 10 to 15 years, their brains actually become one. They start to function as a couple instead of an individual. I mean, there's been like studies like this all over the place, you know, it, you know, whether it comes to a musician's brain is just different, you know, yeah. than somebody who, who is an electrician and they, they have just after, you know, somebody who has done this, over and over and over again, they've built neural pathways or whatever you want to say. But, you know, husband and wife, I love how he pointed it out. After 10 to 15 years, their brains, they, they stop thinking as an individual and think as a couple. And when do most marriages fail? Probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the stats, but probably well, within I don't that either. time, right? Probably yeah. well within that time. Or before, or yeah. before right? Yeah, yeah because of you know uh we used to call it the seven year itch i don't even know where it is now but you know the the seven year itch where you yeah. you get to a point where like ah okay i gotta find someone else or someone gets married and they had all these great expectations and then six months later oh man look yeah. what what happened i married the wrong person well the and, and the your best bet for happiness is, you know according to god is to stay in that marriage first of all you made a vow yeah, yeah. And I understand that there are exceptions and we, right. we, an exception when it comes to sexual immorality and yeah. things like that, that we can talk about. But as far as, okay, let's, let's see what happens, you know, because as we go through time, 10 to 15 years have gone by. Now we, we've gotten past a lot of that selfishness. Yeah. Typically, we start yeah. to think more like a couple, but sometimes couples have already bailed at that point and then what you have to do as as gary thomas has pointed out you have to unlearn the first marriage and then build that whole other 10 to 15 years with the next person yeah and you'd have been better if, if you say like, okay let's let's do what god says and work this out All right you know what you said i i kind of sort of keyed in and held on to what you said i married the wrong one and that gets to back to that mm. romanticism that we were talking about at the very beginning. Yes. Like there is one out there for me. Yes. One, one. out of, what is it? 13 billion. 
Okay. However many billion, seven billion people. It's not thirteen. I'm getting the age Sorry. of the earth confused with number. Of yeah, people. but so many people on the earth. There's one for me, and that's sort of been propagated in you know movies and Disney shows and all of that. But yeah, but yeah, just this idea that there is one. You know, I don't want to go back to the ancient world where all of that was like done for young people. Mm -hmm. But I almost think that might be better, where because at least they understood. There is not one for you. You can, yeah. you can do well with uh, whichever, whoever these parents and the parent and the idea, the idea about, I don't want to criticize the ancient world. The idea behind that is parents are wiser than, than their, you know, 16 year old, 20 year old kids. And so if a parent can yeah. ID someone who's going to be a good fit, well, kids need to listen. And so there was a reason behind why the ancient world did that. But uh, the point is there's not this, there's not just this one and I have to, Go and find them, you know. I hope they're not in China. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Or they lived 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> right? Otherwise, yeah. we'll just have to, you know, time travel or send messages through magical uh, mailboxes or something yeah. or something like some other movie. Yeah. I don't so know. The point is it, but, it takes work. It yeah. takes this 10, you know, mm -hmm. however many years of work to 10 years of work to, to where our brains really start working together as a couple. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a reason. And so then I want to say this to you, you're listening tonight, whether you're thinking about getting married or you're newly married. Oh, if, especially if you're here at the Dallin Road congregation, there are so many older couples who have great marriages, yeah. you know, and they'll, they say, oh, well, we don't have a perfect marriage or this, and, and the, but they have great marriages, yeah. you know, right. and they have a lot of, we have, we have people who have been married 50, 60 years, 60 plus. And uh, there are there are couples who could they've already been past that ten to fifteen years by a multiple of however a factor of four or five, yeah. anyways. So they they've been past that. Okay, so they have a lot to share with you. And this is something else about this that is important that right. we've got to glean from the community. It takes a community of believers to help us as our parents, as parents, and as as, as in, in our marriage. So I just encourage you whether you're listening to this in the Dallin, you know, the Beaumont area, or whether you're in another place in the country, find a godly couple and sit down with them and learn from them. Take them out to coffee or have them over for dinner and learn from their marriage yeah. and, and learn from their wisdom. I think that's so important. You know, I heard the story of, of an American man who went like to Indonesia a Christian, uh, uh, or at least a religious person, I'll, I'll say it that way. Um, and he went to this Indonesian village of, of, of Christians, and they were asking his advice on a, whether to accept a young couple into their congregation. Uh, but the young couple had, you know, sinned, grievous sin. And he asked, well, what is the grievous sin? And they kind of hesitated. They, don't, they didn't want to air anybody's dirty laundry, but eventually they relented and said, well, um, they married on the run or on the go or something. I don't remember the exact phrase, but the point is they eloped. Mm -hmm. And the American preacher was like, well, how's that a, how's that a sin? And uh, the Indonesian said, well, you know, children need to obey their parents. That's what Paul said. And they married without the advice of their parents. As a matter of fact, to get around their parents. Mm. And then he's, and then he started to think, oh yeah, these people just think differently. And he, he, he sort of, you know, pressed them and they talked about it. And one of the things that they said was how it would be careless of us if we allowed these young people to make one of the most important decisions in their lives alone, without the help oh, yeah. of people with years of experience, years and without years and the years community. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly right. Yeah. And so, you know, you think about that. I remember my mom saying uh, growing up, because she didn't like that whole idea of the one for you, you know. And I just remember saying there, there were, she would say, Aaron, there, there are arranged marriages all throughout history and people could learn to love each other. And there may not have been the, you know, again, as we think about the romantic pizzazz of a Hallmark movie. Okay. But are we talking about that kind of image, or are we talking about holiness and following God? Yeah. You know, and so as we think about that, you know, we we may have some things that that are 
we wish would change in our spouse. And I'm guaranteeing you that your spouse has things about you they wish you would change. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but what are, where is my purpose? What is my mission? So if we wake up with a, with a focus of, Lord, I want to glorify you. You know, and I think that's where Leah, Leah got with in the Bible, in the book of Genesis with her husband. She tried so hard to get her husband to love her. She tried to have babies to get him to love her. And she prayed for God, you know, hey, make, make my you make him love me. You know, and so baby after baby after baby. And finally, when Judah's born, uh, she says, this time I'll praise the Lord. That's right. And I guess if I just close that out from at least on my part, I don't know. I, I don't know what your marriage is going to be like or not going to be like. I can't I don't have a crystal ball. But I can tell you, you can commit to praising God. You can commit to holiness. You can commit to, I'm going to com be complete in Jesus. And I pray that my spouse comes alongside me. But I'm going to be complete in Jesus, and I'm going to glorify Him. And I think that's, if we have that focus, and you have two people who have that focus, you have the picture of Christ in the church. Yeah. You have the marriage. Not Again, not perfect. Not everything is, is, is always rosy. But you have two people committed to Jesus you have a wonderful, a wonderful marriage yeah. and God's going to do great things. Yeah. And if you do those things, you'll be happy. That's all I got. If you want to. That's it. All right. Let's close out with a word of prayer. All right. Almighty God, we come before your throne, just thanking you for the gift of marriage that we all have, where we could all strive to be more like you, help our spouse to be more like you and grow ourselves Father, we pray that you will help us in that regard, help us to always uh, strive to have holy marriages and not simply hap happy marriages. Father, we pray that you'll just be with us as we um, strive to do the work of a, a disciple. We pray that we'll do that in all aspects of our lives, obviously including our marriage, but we pray that we'll do that in all, asp all aspects of our lives, our work lives, our school lives, uh, wherever life takes us, we pray that we will be good disciples. Father, we thank you for your love and your care for us. We thank you for sending Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve and provide a way, a hope for us to one day dwell with you in eternity. Father, it's in his name that we say this prayer, Jesus' name. Amen. And thanks for joining us for today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron, that's A-A-R-O-N, at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks, and have a wonderful day.